Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we got some show for you today. I mean, uh, common sense and uh, trying to get the truth out. And uh, uh, in the studio with us, we got uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, a great dom- Democrat, and a great Republican, we have Vito Fasella, the borough president of Staten Island, and you have some news for us uh, later on. And we have two special guests from the New York State uh, Business Council. We have Howard Becker and we have Paul Zuber. And um, you, you guys are going to tell us what the heck is going on in Albany. In, uh, and there's so many things that uh, are coming up, and they're trying to change our lives, uh, Paul. Yeah, yeah, they they are trying to change our lives, and 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 I think the the problem um, that we have right now is <clears throat> we're talking about affordability in New York, so we're seeing an out migration. What affordability? <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. What affordability? And and what I found funny was there were a couple of studies that came out. One was from a left leaning group that argued, well, people are leaving New York, but the millionaires are coming back, and then the other one is you know everybody's just leaving, but what? Difference doesn't make. Everybody's leaving, and the reason they're leaving is because New York is not affordable. Um, we did a study at the Business Council, um, and we looked at the financial services industry. And I think what people have to understand about the five financial services industry, it cr- accounts to $327 billion in gross domestic product in New York State. When you look at it, the financial industry in New York State over the last several years has grown by Point two percent in nationally, over four percent in states like North Carolina, Florida, Tennessee. It's grown by double digits. So not only are we losing people because of the affordability, but we're losing an industry that creates a lot of tax revenue for New York State. And what our elected officials don't understand is when those people leave, all the things that you want to do for low-income individuals. Get blown apart because then you don't have the money to do it. It's 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 almost it's it's incredibly nonsensical, and it's scary to think that no one is thinking beyond. Well, we got to tax millionaires, and we got to tax this person, we got to tax that person. Well, people need and, to- and, and some of the taxes they tax you on top of your taxes. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they, they tax the tax you're paying already. Well, they tax the tax you're paying already, and then they they they. Put on burdens, or the the state government puts on burdens that continue to make it more unaffordable. So I don't know if you guys saw the paper. National Grid is asking for a thirty dollar a month increase for its New York City customers. Okay, you know, if I, I, I were a taxpayer, I'd be like, oh my god, why are you raising my? It's because we passed a climate law that requires these these utilities to build transmission lines to the new power sources. To actually, the prices of gas increases, so it's starting to affect the consumer. Paul, Paul it's affecting consumer. This all electric homes is a lot of crap. I'm, I'm sorry to say it like that. You know, could you imagine? Uh, they want all your cooking to be all electric. They want all your heating to be all electric. They want your car to be electric. If God forbid the grid goes out. 
or somebody presses a button and your all the electronic components go out. You're not going to be able to eat. You're not be able to if it's two degrees out. You're going to suffer because it's going to be cold, and you're not going to be able to fix it because your only your your only option is electricity. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not gas. It's not uh, uh, it's not propane. It's not nothing. I mean, all electric is insane because you have no other options. And there's no infrastructure. The other thing, too, is that they came out the other day. There's not one single government charging station if you have an electric vehicle car. No, it hasn't been built. They allocated $7 billion for it, and they haven't been built. Yeah, what a waste of money. What a money grab. It's ridiculous. It it is ridiculous. So so there's a whole lot you can unpack with with all electric buildings. But, you know, I, I I think the first thing is... There is a, a group called the uh, New York Independent System Operators, and their sole focus is on the grid and making sure that, you know, we have energy, we have, you know, homes are heated. They've said that there is a serious concern with brownouts in New York City because we're building all these renewables, which is fine. We build renewables. We're, we're supposed to have a good, a good earth and, and a good environment. But the transmission lines aren't connected and oh, by the way, there's a chance for brownouts. And what's happening in New York State is because you know the weather changes and everything. There's more use of electricity in the wintertime than there was before. So I was talking to Vito just before we came on, and he made a great point. Like, what happens when your electricity goes and it's and it's 30 degrees outside? It's it's one thing when it goes and it's and it's 90. I mean, that that's a terrible. You have no situation. car. You yeah. can't cook. And you're going to be very cold, and you can't go up and down on the elevator. Yeah, other than that, it's great. Yeah, other than that, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 it gets. I mean, it's it's compounds. It gets worse. And let's talk about power, about solar cells and these windmills. Let me tell you something. It's infinitesimal amount of power, and and uh, the the wind the 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 turbines turbines going to create a lot of damage to our ecological system in the oceans mm-hmm. and the whales and they're killing my whales well, well here here's here's the thing that's frustrating about the, the clcpa that's what they call it it's the climate action um bill you know what i call it bs <laughs> all right those are the initials i use well, but go well, ahead well <laughs> guess how how much greenhouse gas emissions new york um contributes to the world point Zero four percent. We're less, but that's that's the point, right? right? So we're less than a half a percent. We're we're a little less than a half a percent in what we we contribute in greenhouse gas emissions. But it's not like we live in a dome. So so what are we doing here? We're doing all this stuff. We're increasing costs on on consumers. No one's going to China and saying China 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 is building one coal plant every. Every week, one coal plant every week, and in some of the politicians, they they just came back of, from what do you call it? The, uh, the, the cop cop twenty eight. Twenty eight. They they want us to shut it all down, and China is building all those plants. I mean, what what the heck is going on? Yeah, and by the way, the hypocrisy too. I want to. This is funny too because Kamala Harris. I'll never forget the image. Mm-hmm. It's Thanksgiving, right? She's standing there uh, with her husband, and the picture she tweets out. She's standing in front of a gas stove. She's yeah. like the leader of all this stuff. You can't make it up. I mean, and then here's Carrie going to the COP twenty eight in his fancy schmancy jet. And how much do you think that's burning? You know? Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, no. Absolutely. And and that's the and that's the problem is if you're wealthy. 
you know, can you survive some of these increases in costs? Yes. But everybody's forgetting about low-income people, and everybody's forgetting about that man or woman who's making like $100,000 a year, maybe combined income. And if you increase their their utility bills by $1,000 a month, you're talking about, you know, them them not being able to survive. You're talking about why they're thinking about leaving. You know, ch- child care in New York State costs $23,000 per child, according to a governor's task force. So now you're paying $23,000 for a kid. Your, 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 your costs of energy are increasing. Everything's flying up. And you're wondering why, why people want to leave. And yeah. that's why they want to leave. It's not an affordable state. By the way, uh, another reason they may want to leave is the crime. And we also have with us in studio, studio of course, the Staten Island Borough President, Vito Fasella. Crime in Staten Island is skyrocketing. Talk about that. Unfortunately, in the last two years, crime on Staten Island has increased by about 50% in the seven major crime categories. And to double down on what Paul and on you all have just been talking about, people don't, you know, people... People are loaded with common sense, and they see these things crime up, uh, cost of living going up, congestion pricing soon to be imposed, hopefully not. So you add up all these things, and people say, what the heck am I doing around here? So you can't argue with them and convince them to try to stay because in large instinct, they, large measure, they have very valid reasons to take care of themselves and their family. What we have seen in the last few years, and nobody has beat the drum louder than all of you in this room, John and Rita and everybody else and the judge, is when you allow bad people to continue to do bad things, they're going to continue to do bad things, and their bad things are going to get worse and worse. So the seven major crime categories up more than 51% in the last two years is an utter disgrace, and everybody needs to rally up, send the troops in, send in the cavalry, and put the bad people behind bars so innocent people are, are feel safe. Now, coupled with the actual numbers, our local paper, The Advance, did a study about a 1,000 people, 89% feel less safe than they did two years ago. 90% of the people, roughly, feel less safe. That's the worst thing you can have is people afraid to walk down the street or take a subway. Yeah, well, that's bad. Have, we used to have all the drugstores open to midnight. We used to have all the supermarkets open to midnight. And you can't walk around after dark now. Right. And you're taking a chance on your life. And, 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 you know, the politicians, you know what they're saying to you? Uh, that, oh, arrests, arrests are down. Of course they're down. The police officers don't want to arrest anybody. It, that's if there are police officers. Well, so we just had a story about yeah. 2,500 resigning. I mean, this is not, yeah. this is yeah. bad news. The, the big, the big problem is they've created a climate of lawlessness. They haven't recognized it, that. They haven't admitted it. They're passing more and more legislation that's pro-criminal, anti-law enforcement, anti-public safety, and they will not go back and change it back to common sense practices. Yeah. We know exactly what we have to do to keep the city safe. When Vito was in the city council, we knew exactly what we had to do to keep the and, city safe, and we've turned away from it. And Commissioner Sewell said on this show, right in this room, that if you got 3,300 uh, repeat criminals, repeat criminals, if you take them off the street, you know, at one point, under Rockefeller, it used to be three strikes and you're out. Okay, well, let's modify it. Five strikes in your act, six strikes now in your act. Now it's 50. And we bend over backwards to try to accommodate those yeah. 3,300. And if you got rid of the 3,300, because some people are never going to straighten out. If you got rid of the 3,300, 
Eight and a half million New Yorkers will have a better place to live. And the point is they know who they are, obviously. I mean, it's like blaring red signs well, and they're not well, doing anything. Rita, to your point about knowing who they are, now the legislature has passed the law. Governor's gone along with it. The Clean Slate Act, you're not even going to know who they are. Yeah, they're sealing the records. That's right, right Judge. So, That's right. So, so much for knowing who you're dealing with. How sad is that? Now, in the middle of all this, uh, I have to ask you, Vita Fasella, too, because uh, you're a UPenn guy. Uh, the UPenn president was grilled, skewered, sautéed, and broiled yesterday on Capitol Hill, along with some of these other uh, elite colleges, for not doing enough about these horrible anti-Semitic protests. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I was a proud Penn. I was Wharton undergrad, didn't graduate in 87. You know, we all been through college. We all see the crazy demonstrations. Some are half wacky. Some are nuts. Some are real and genuine, but that's their right. But I think what's happened now is they've taken it to a whole nother level. Uh, the revolutionaries of trying to destroy capitalism, colonialism. And in the midst of all that is this giant stride towards anti-Semitism that needs to stop. And the demonstration of those presidents of those universities just a few days ago at Capitol Hill was an utter disgrace that they couldn't condemn genocide of Jews. If you fill in the blank genocide of anything, they'd have the cops come knocking on the door and arresting them. The fact that they can't come out and be crystal clear that these universities, their campuses, will not condemn genocides of Jews is unacceptable in 2023. Something should happen. We we had a press conference in front of the Penn Club a, few, uh, a couple of months ago saying that this is the ref- inflection point to start pushing back against the nuts on campus. Rita, uh, Mark Hazard, who's a very distinguished lawyer in New York, has brought a lawsuit on behalf of some of the Jewish students at Penn to go after them. Because, you know, you have a civil rights act uh, I think it's Article 4, it specifically provides you have to have a safe environment, and Penn is violating that, as is Harvard, as is MIT, there, as is the university. under free speech, yeah. and it's not free speech. Yeah, it's it's just, the difference between free speech and hate they're speech. They're afraid. They, they don't – a lot of Jewish students are now – I had a conversation just a couple of days ago. People are afraid to put menorahs in their windows because yeah. they're petrified. Something may happen. Listen, we got a great education at Penn. It's a great institution. It's it's diluted from what it is. I My best friends in life are, are Penn grads. Half of them are Jewish. I, we still maintain relations. We love their families. The notion that they're actually condemning uh, the Jews on campus and defending Hamas, who killed, raped, and did everything possible to innocent people, to me, the, the, moral, the moral line has is, 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 is disappeared. Yeah, well, I agree. Paul, you wanted to say one more thing before winter break. No, no. I was just going to say um, when with some of the things that, that Vito was talking about with crime and, and some of the things that we were discussing, you know, that all folds into the problem that we're having in New York State, right? So if I'm sitting there, all the things like for New York City, all the things that I can get in New York City, I can get in Atlanta now. I can get in Memphis, Tennessee. I can get in anywhere. And people are voting with their feet now. And politicians need to wake up and learn. Is the number correct? 540,000 have moved out of New York City, New York State in the last last two years. According to the census, yes. Let me ask you this, because we were talking about this Mm -hmm. before. What about this legislation that's on the governor's desk about non-compete clauses? What's that all about? Well, they would they would ban non-compete clauses in New York State. And explain what, what that is to our so, listeners. So, so the listeners, um, in many instances, you may be required as an employee to sign an agreement with your employer that you will not go out 
and work in uh, a, for a competitor or the same industry as as they work. A lot now, of businesses are going to move out. A, a lot of businesses are going to move out. And and you know this isn't an idle threat. I mean, we have business council members who have told us, "Look, I'm not I'm not renewing my lease. I'm leaving." And we already have an outflowing of of financial industry uh, in New York State. This is just going to push them further because if you're a stock trader, if you're a company like that, I mean, you're not going to let your employees walk. Jimmy, Jimmy Patronis, the CFO of Florida, a good friend of ours, mm-hmm. uh, was sitting in your seat last week, and he says 160 institutions have moved to Miami from New York area. Financial institutions. Financial with a trillion dollars in 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 uh, equities or funds. Absolutely, we found out in our study. And the thing is, you don't need to trade to be in New York. I, I would I would I hazard to guess there's probably stock traders don't even know how to trade on the floor anymore. You trade by computer, so you don't need to be here. And so when we're pushing you out, they're going to go out and they account to I think it's 16 percent of New York State's gross domestic product. Those people who work in that financial services. Industry. Wow, let's that's take a, big a break. Yeah. And when we come back, I understand Carl Rove is calling in. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. What is today is Carl Rove, one of our country's uh, leading Republican strategists. And um, last night they had uh, the debates. And uh, Carl Rove, there's nobody better to analyze what the heck happened than, than you. What the heck happened? Uh, well, it was uh, not illuminating at points. I mean, I think uh, uh, Ron DeSantis had a good night talking about his agenda. Uh, Mr. Ramosawani did a uh, did a spectacular job of making himself even more objectionable than he did in any of the previous debates. Uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the attacks on Nikki Haley were over the top. And uh, then at the end, he just felt obligated to endorse every nutty, Concept, you know, the nine nine eleven was an inside job. Uh, so was uh, so was January six. That was brought on by federal agents, not not violent protesters. I mean, it just uh, you know he he just sort of got out of control. Chris Christie did a good job, I, th- I thought, last night in laying out his case. Uh, I thought one of the toughest questions of the evening, though, was the one that said, "Look, here's the what the polls say about uh, you know only three quarters of the Republicans in the state of New Hampshire won't vote for you." But, uh, look, I think these things have been useful. They've been an opportunity for people to see the alternatives that are available to them. And as a result, um, at least three of the people on the stage last night have done themselves some good, at least in the early states. One has uh, used the debates to, to his uh, disadvantage, uh, Vivek. Uh, he, he just is, he, he seemed interesting and different at the beginning, and then he turned into a nut. You know, Carl, this is Rita Cosby. Do you think there was a winner and do you think there was a clear loser? And does it clear the field now as we're heading into Iowa, not that far away, and then New Hampshire? Yeah, well, there was one loser and that was Vivek. I don't think he did anything last night that helped him. Uh, And he was already sinking. The other three, look, two of them are competing in Iowa, uh, DeSantis and Haley, and they did themselves some good. Uh, Christie's only competing in New Hampshire, and he probably uh, strengthened his position there. But what's going to be interesting is to see how this all plays out, because it, it, this could be a situation everybody expects. And the, and the president is spending, the former president is spending, in my opinion, too much time talking about how far ahead he is in the polls, raising expectations rather than lowering them. 
he's he's his number in Iowa is significantly below the number that he has nationwide. Nationwide, fifty eight to sixty, and and uh, the 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 Iowa poll, which is sort of the of the, the 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 gold standard, uh, he's at forty three, or he was at forty three in in uh, late in October, um, and you know uh, what happens if he is at forty percent? So six out of every ten Republicans vote for somebody else, then either DeSantis or Haley is in second place. That's what's you know that's going to be the story coming out of Iowa. Look at the surprise second place finish. And off we go to New Hampshire. And let me tell you, I've had personal experience in New Hampshire. They like upsetting the apple cart, and uh, they could conceivably do so. But this is going to be the most unpredictable presidential election we've ever had. And and the most unpredictable uh, Republican primary is is a possibility. We should we got two front runners who uh, should both be the nominees of their party, but they aren't particularly popular. This is the most unpopular pair of front runners since we began polling on that question in 1936. And as a result, crazy things can happen. Yeah, you uh, never know. By the way, uh, uh, also, did you see, Carl, that Vivek brought out the whiteboard last night? I thought of you. Uh, of course, it was, a, it was a jab when he did it to Nikki Haley. Uh, the other thing, too, also, Carl Rove, is we saw... Uh, you know, some really interesting comments coming from the president, uh, Joe Biden, as you talked about the unpopularity, especially on the Democratic side. He came out and said, I might not be running, uh, you know, if Trump wasn't. And then he tried to backtrack on that. Um, how much do you think that that's truth? And is it uh, sort of a, you know, a personal issue for him? Yeah. Well, first, let me say Vivek was mimicking the whiteboard. He was using a pad of paper. So uh, otherwise, I'd be suing him in court for you know trademark <laughs> infractions. But look, Joe Biden, it's just amazing to me that he is running. I mean, he is he is he was the oldest president when he was inaugurated. It wasn't that you know at the at the end of his first term that he's the oldest president? He was the oldest president when he got inaugurated. And you know what he was saying was, in essence, showing his hand. There's one reason why he's in this race because he has taken it upon himself to believe that he is the only Democrat who can beat Donald Trump. In reality, he may be the only Democrat who can lose to Donald Trump. Think about this. Paul, I was told by some friends of mine in in the Democratic Party that they're going to seek the nomination under uh, uh, Joe Biden, and after he gets the nomination, he's then going to bow out, and then uh, uh, there ha- doesn't have to be a primary. And then the uh, Democratic governors, the Democratic senators, and the DNC make a decision who goes into uh, Joe Biden's uh, uh, nomination. That decision will be made at the Democratic convention. If something happens after the Democratic convention, it falls to the Democratic National Committee to replace him on the ballot. But then they run into a problem because starting in September – States start having deadlines for setting their ballot for for the fall election. And so, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see where it goes. You know, Carl, a boy, this is a wild one. And Carl Rove, thank you so much. We'll have to buckle our seatbelts. It's going to be a wild election year. It will be. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, Carl, thank you very, very much. Well, crime was one of the topics 
at the debate last night. And joining us here in studio, we got a good full house, is Curtis Lewa. Uh, Curtis, by the way, this is what, the 30th anniversary of the Long Island train massacre. Crazy Colin Ferguson, who represented himself, right? It's also Pearl Harbor Day. And Frank Morano is going to come on later on and talk about Pearl Harbor Day. We got a great, great show. And crime is a huge issue. Well, speaking of Colin Ferguson, remember, Rudy had been elected. Dinkins was in transition. Colin Ferguson decided he wanted to shoot as many white people as he could. So what did he pick? The Long Island Railroad. Except to honor David Dinkins, he decided, I'm not going to pull the trigger until we're out of Queens and in Nassau County. And that's when he just started to shoot randomly in and out of the car. Uh, So many people were killed and injured. And ironically, he insisted that he did not kill the people, that uh, he brought a gun in, but it wasn't him who fired the gun. It was some stranger. And at first, it was uh, Kubi and his... Was he related to George George Santos? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But at first, remember, it was uh, Ron Kubi and his uh, mentor, Kunstler, who came up with the Black Rage defense for Colin Ferguson. Colin says, I'm not in a rage. First of all, he was highly educated from Jamaica. He spoke very well. So he fired Kunstler and Kubi... And he represented himself pro se. And remember, in Nassau County Criminal Court, remember, he would uh, actually cross-examine the victims. And he said, who shot you? And they looked at him and they he said, said you did. You did. Right, I remember that moment. He said, take a good right. look. Are you sure that person is in this room? He said, yeah. You're the person who shot me multiple times. You know, the sad thing here it is, uh, 30 years later, and we were just talking with Paul and Vito and the judge and John, obviously, we're all talking about crime. Still, we still have so many of these crazy, a lot of them mentally disturbed people lately committing so many of these horrible crimes, Curtis. Well, they live in the streets, they live in the subways, they live in the parks, they roam around. Now, if I put you, reader, or anyone else in a subway for three straight days, 72 hours. Oh, no, hours, don't do that. I will be in hell if that happens, it all right? will cause anyone to lose control of whatever mental faculties they have left. You put me there for three hours, I'll lose my mental exactly. faculties, all right? So, they're never removed. There is no attempt whatsoever to remove them. The city actually tracks them. They keep a list. We remember Jordan Neely was on that list of the 50 most most dangerous until uh, uh, Penny came across him and had to choke him in order to stop him from assaulting everybody on the car. Unfortunately, Jordan Neely died. So you're keeping a list of the 50 most violent, emotionally disturbed persons. Why don't you take the 50 out of the subways and commit them to a mental health care hospital? How about the 3,800... Who do who do we represent? The, uh, the politicians, the three thousand eight hundred repeat criminals, or or eight and a half million people? Oh, no doubt. But you see, with a lot of these folks, they're just uh, not in control of their mental faculties. They ought to be in Creedmoor. They ought to be in a number of the mental health uh, hospitals that have empty beds. Creedmoor, they put up a tent for the illegals. They only have thirty percent occupancy in the wards for the mentally ill. Creedmoor is for the mentally ill. It's not to be housing migrants. Now, there was the case the other day, that horrible case. I think it was Queens, right? I think, Curtis, where the guy who stabbed, remember, all his different family members. It was that horrible case. And the sister came out and said, yeah, I've been trying to get him help. Um, is that legitimate? Um, or is that, like you just said, there's room? Yeah, what, no, what's he, the story? He has to be committed. He, he cannot have a choice of being committed. He's a danger to himself and everyone else. So he had a breakup with his marriage. 
It traumatized him for a year. He's shown every symptom of having a mental health issue. So one of his relatives said, look, rather than go from shelter to shelter and get kicked out because he was incorrigible, he wasn't able to abide by the rules, come to our house on Beach 22nd Street. Nice house, two-family house, uh, right near the water. And that's when he pulled the knife out and he killed all of his relatives, left one seriously injured, and then uh, stabbed the two police officers who had arrived at the scene. So we have a lot of people. Now, when I started the Guardian Angels 44 years ago, it was gangs on the subways. There are some gangs now, but it's not the same problem. It is now emotionally disturbed and homeless people who live in the subways and who will end up committing crimes in the subways. Yeah, these random. And the other day there was um, a slashing. It was a one guy who, like, what did it? Two different stops in Brooklyn, right? Uh, right near the Barclays Center, I think. One That's of them. right. And he went on a rampage. But have no fear. Uh, Eric Adams' answer to high crime in the subways is a robot at Times Square. I passed him this morning. Oh, wait, the robot or, or, or the Eric robot. Adams? Okay. The robot is in a police pen. <laughs> He's supposed to be in Washington, I was going to say. <laughs> guarded at all times by two transit police officers and never goes on patrol because they're afraid, A, the robot will be vandalized, graffitied, or if they go down on a platform with a robot, he'll be pushed into an oncoming train. If you're, if you're spray paint on the... Uh on the robot's eyes, does that make it blind? Uh, I have no idea, but you won't get arrested. <laughs> I can guarantee you, unless you kill the robot, you actually cause the robot no longer to function. It's the but, only but way the you get arrested. the robot has two bodyguards. Yes, it does. <laughs> two police officers at all times. How, how oh, foolish. my goodness. That's the safest robot in the entire country. Yeah, right. And by the way, he can, whoever spray paints him, it can do it about 50 now, times the other right thing, before they get arrested. The other thing, Rita, they're not using. They have 80 horses and cops on horses. One horse cop is worth 10 cops on a beat. Where are they? They're in the stables ever since de Blasio. Uh, now Adams won't use him. 80 highly proficient trained police officers who know how to ride a horse into a crowd, who can look into a crowd from that vantage point and report crime. The only time you see them is at parade, uh, at parades or for festive occasions. Other than that, they're not used for what they were trained. We have 80 horses. One horse with one cop equals 10 cops on a beat. Wow. Well, we need more of them. That is for sure. Curtis, keep us posted on everything on the street. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Anytime from the sweets to the streets. Here I go. All right. There he goes. Let's take a break. (laughs) Once we come back from the break, who do we have, Rita? We have Steve Moore talking about the economy and some interesting news. They're changing the word from Bidenomics to Maganomics. Get that after the break. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're commuting home. Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And with us today is Steve Moore, one of the country's leading economists. And uh, Rita, tell me, uh, you, you, you had some concerns about some things about the economy. Yeah, I did. And, and I think a lot of people do, Steve, because even Biden, is, yeah, did you hear this? He's trying to get rid of the phrase, the White House says Bidenomics, because they're realizing <laughs> to Paul Zuber and all of our points here that it's they don't want to be associated with this economy. So instead, they're going to try to go after, quote, Maganomics. Uh, Steve, you can't make this up. Yeah. And, and you know, they, the fact is that despite the fact that we still have a, a pretty jo- strong job market, although I think we're probably going to, you know, we get another jobs report, monthly jobs report that comes out tomorrow morning at 830. I'll be on Fox Business News with Maria Rodoromo and that those numbers come out. 
But, uh, you know, it's going to be a weak report. Uh, we don't know how weak it will be, but the economy is showing some signs of slowing down. But the bigger problem is that for the 22 of the last 26 months, people's wages have fallen behind uh, the, um, the rate of inflation. And then you have the trillion dollars of credit card debt that we talked about the other day on this show. And so it's a real it's a real hardship for Americans. And it shows what a bubble the people are in Washington. They keep saying, gee, why are people so angry? Everything's going so well. Well, maybe in Washington, things are going so well, but not a Main Street America. And that is a, a big problem, I think, for the Biden people. Steve, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to raise two points with you. I just saw you wrote about them. Number one, <laughs> I want to talk about Biden threatening to rescind patents for pharmaceutical companies if he thinks the prices uh, are too high. What's, what is yeah. that going to mean if that happens? This is this is really outrageous. Thanks for ans- asking that question. We're not paying enough attention to this, but Biden wants price controls on the drug companies. And look, we all probably agree that pharmaceutical drugs are too expensive. But uh, first they put price controls on, which I'm opposed to because I think it'll lead to less innovation so that we, you know, we won't be able to win the race for the cure for cancer and heart disease and multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's and so on. But now, I mean, this is, Rita, this is a big deal. Now the Biden administration wants to rescind the patents that these uh, companies get when they develop a new drug. Uh, and basically said, well, anybody can put this drug out. If you do that, that is going to have an incredibly negative effect on the innovation in the dr- introduction of new drugs in this country. And we're going to lose the grace of the cure. So I and by the way, this is unconstitutional. It's an unconstitutional taking of the intellectual property of these drug companies. And Steve, let me raise since you raise the issue of constitutionality. And after all, I am a lawyer. What about this case named after your namesake? Oh, you are. I, yeah, I didn't know I that. I've been more. Did you know that, Vito? Vito, no, Vito, we used to be my client. <laughs> was he a lawyer then? Vito, when he represented uh, for you. Full disclosure: I was in the city council, and he was the council. <laughs> I was going to say you weren't behind bars. <laughs> no, okay, let's okay. talk about Moore versus the state of Washington, where they want to, Steve. They want to They want to tax unrealized capital gains. What does that mean? That's unbelievable. And by the way, unfortunately, I'm not I'm not the uh, the more on that case. But um, basically, this is about whether the government has an unlimited uh, uh, taxing power. And so everybody has to keep an eye, a close eye on this case. I think that the decision will come down soon. But it's a be- based on whether you could be taxed. For example, let's say you buy a farm and then you sell it for, a, you know, over 20 years for a two million dollar uh or you don't sell it, but it's appreciated by $2 million in value, you'd have to pay a 30% tax on $2 million increase. You'd in have to sell it to pay the you tax. You didn't even sell it. Right. And the same, the what money? about the st- Steve, what about the stock market? I buy yeah, a stock for thing. 20 and it goes up to same 60. Thing. I have to pay that 40-point differential, even though I haven't yeah. realized it. What exactly. happens if I lose the next year? Yeah, and, and by the way, do you think they're going to give you money back if you lose the money the next year? <laughs> I don't think so. It's it's heads they win, tails you lose, and so this is a big one. Never before have we had a cap, uh, tax on uh, unrealized capital gains. The Supreme Court will decide that, and boy, I pre- I pray they they decide the right way on that one. And uh, Steve Moore. And Steve Moore, you had a uh, a big conference the other day along with Art Laffer. And, uh, and you were the star of the show, John. You and uh, Fred Smith of FedEx stole the show. And I'll never forget what you said, John. You said, we have to have a return to what? Common sense in this country when it comes to economic policy. And everybody, you know, you got a standing ovation for that. 
Well, well I, I didn't ask you because of that. I wanted to ask you about how the rest of the show. I was there for me and Larry Cudlow were there for one segment along with uh, 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 who, who was there? The guy from the Federal we Reserve? We had Fred Smith. We had Fred. Art Laffer. We had Kathy Wood, the great investor. We had Scott Rasmussen, the pollster. The bottom line is we've got to do something about this country's debt. We have to do it in a responsible way. We've got to get back on the right track. Now, uh, I'm in Florida right now. I'm meeting your, with your friend tomorrow. Uh, uh, Donald J. Trump, and what should I tell him, John? What should I tell him? You're, you're going to Florida to see Donald J. Trump, but Donald J. Trump is in New York. He, he's um, he. I'm seeing him Mar a Lago. I don't where, know where he is today. Yeah. He's, he's, he's on trial. He's on trial. Is where he yeah, is. he's. By the way, he's been <laughs> slamming. And speaking of yeah. which, we've been talking yeah. about businesses. Did you hear what he just said? Like an hour or two ago, he why would out. anybody stay in yeah. New York? Yeah. Under yeah. these conditions. Yeah, he's like, listen, yeah. you got crime, you got this, you got that, and they're going after on, me on, on, on the license. in New York? I have no yeah. clue. I have no yeah. clue. Yeah. With with prices rising, energy yeah. costs. And it's, the taxes. And the taxes. It's 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 yeah. it, Jamie Dimon is, is sending his, his, his people to Texas. Um, he's got more employees in Texas than he has in New York. All yeah. his exes live in Texas. Vito, you want yeah. to say something? <clears throat> Steve, this is Vito Fasala. First time I send the president our, our regards, please. But yeah. uh, you're a your perspective, we're talking about what we're trying to do in New York to keep businesses here and they're fleeing. Do you see these states in the South, Florida, for example, uh, outwardly trying to attract businesses from New York to relocate to Florida and Texas and to other states? Well, they don't have to put big billboards out, you know, <laughs> because people know when you pay, you know, when you pay a 13, <coughs> excuse me, a 13% tax, uh, income tax, um, in, in New York and then you pay zero. In Florida, when you have a capital gains tax, you have a you have a high property tax. You have got all these taxes, and so people do move. And you know, if John Casamitis ever moves out of New York, we're really screwed, right? <laughs> yeah, we're trying to keep them to stay. And Steve Moore, uh, Paul Zuber, who is with the Business Council of New York State, has a question. No, no, I wanted to. I wanted to to jump How on many what what Vito. Have in the room over there, we have five thousand. Five thousand. Last remaining New Yorkers are in yeah. this room. Yeah. Every, we can't, we can't fit anymore. Everybody who wants to leave New York is in the room. So, uh, so to what Vito said about our other states doing that, you know, at the Business Council, our partner or our colleagues in other states have shared with us PowerPoints that they've told us we're using this to attract your businesses to our yeah. state. Oh and they've shared goodness. it. Florida has one, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. They're, they're, they're attracting because they're saying lower crime, lower energy costs, yeah. lower yeah. – and, and it's working. And we just cross out the lower, and we just put yeah. crime, energy costs. Well, but you know what? New York can I – mean, I don't want to end this on a negative note. New York can make a comeback. We saw we what can make a comeback. Giuliani did. We yeah. saw what uh, – who was the Republican governor back uh, in Pataki. the 90s? Pataki. Pataki did a great Pataki job. did a great yeah. job. So this state can be fixed. And, you know, I was thinking maybe, John, I know you ran for mayor. mayor. That didn't work out so well. Maybe you could run for governor. <laughs> ah. Maybe we could run Veto for governor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you think? So yeah, back, so I back, love that, too. Back to Steve's point. All right. Let's, let's, let's go. Uh, back to Steve's <laughs> point. I think that this is, this is the critical thing. There are millions of great yes. people in this city yep. and state, yep. and all yep. they need to do is to be unleashed and do yes. what they're capable of doing, yes. and we will yes. get this city and state back, take care of the less than 1% that destroy for everybody else, but uh, yes. people are here and they can do it. You yeah. know what Larry Kudlow said at our conference, John? I don't know if you were there when he, when he said it. He said, all we have to do in New York is 
tax less, spend less, and regulate less. Yeah, that's all. That's all. Yeah. Common sense. Common it's sense. Not common. It's Steve. not that complicated. And You're drill, right. And drill, baby, drill. That was yeah. the fourth thing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We got to take, no, we got Dr. Michalos waiting We do. Call. Steve Moore, thank you thank very you, much. Steve. Let's go to Dr. Okay, Michalos. Thank you. And let's bring in our resident genius, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Uh, Dr. Peter, um, you know, one of the things that was really amazing, this was interesting, this new blood test for Alzheimer's, this could be huge. Absolutely. A company called Resonant out in uh, Utah, basically what they found was that when brain cells are undergoing any kind of deterioration as found in Alzheimer's disease, in Parkinson's and ALS, the brain actually starts to shed DNA and it's called cell-free DNA. And normally that's not detectable in the blood. So when they do this blood test, they actually spot the shedding of these dying brain cells. And when they see an increased amount of this cell-free DNA and these dying shedding cells, they can basically predict Alzheimer's if it's happening. Like it was like in the study, even though the study was only in 50 people in one of them, it predicted it 100% of the time. And it also picked up early uh, cognitive decline as well, which is also fascinating. So this is going to be actually a good thing and a bad thing because when people get this blood test, the insurance companies basically, good luck trying to get uh, life or any type of health insurance because you're going to basically find out. The good news is that uh, there are things that you can do. There's another tests that already exist called Intellix DNA, and you can swab, and it basically tells you the risks for every disease that you might have, but it also, in the results, gives you suggestions on what uh, you should be eating, what supplements you can be taking to reduce brain inflammation, because a lot of these diseases like Alzheimer's, basically it's brain inflammation and cells dying, and guess when most of our repair of the brain occurs. It's like a washing machine. The fluid that floats out in our brain called the cerebral spinal fluid, it actually circulates all night. And when we sleep, it does that. And when you lie on your side, it actually does it even better. So those who sleep on their side, they have a more effective washout of some of the dead and dying cells that occur in brain tissue, which is also fascinating. And uh, another another thing uh, that we talked about earlier is one of the biggest problems that's affecting the economy, safety, and the outmigration is mental illness, as Curtis was saying brilliantly before. <laughs> mental illness is our number one disease. And now we also have this new problem of DW high instead of DWI with all these people driving around intoxicated with marijuana. So please, we encourage our listeners to be careful around the holidays because people will be intoxicated with all these different substances in addition to alcohol. So drive. Uh, drive safely, don't speed, and uh, continue. Yeah, with well, Art, Art Laffer there. the other day, Art Laffer, our, our big investment uh, a guy from uh, Larry Kudlow's friend from Tennessee, had a dinner party in New York for the governor of uh, Colorado, Colorado right? yep. Mr. Polis. Uh, first of all, I asked him if he was a Greek, because with a name like Polis, he, he's a, he's, no, he wasn't, he says not Greek. Because, but it sounds like a Greek name, Paul. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, but he's Jewish. Uh, and uh, so if he came from that northern area, you never know. It might be the same uh, Jewish-Greek that uh, that uh, uh, we're our Pfizer CEO. Oh, is. yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. And now he, when and he, he was says, talking about marijuana, right? I asked right? him a question. I said, do you have more traffic accidents to now 
than you before marijuana. And what did he say? He didn't tell the truth. Oh, <laughs> but but it's got to be. I mean, think about it real quick. It's obviously a huge risk. And, and it's important you bring this up as we're heading into the holidays, Dr. Peter. Right. There's no way to document it. So what he's saying is that they don't have a documented cause because unlike a, a, puff, a breath analyzer test that you can do and figure out if someone is drunk, there is no puff test. There is no yes. instantaneous. Test. And, and, and they're operating why. trucks going 70 miles an hour. They're operating, you know, cars. They're operating cranes on top of construction sites. Thank right. you, uh, Peter, Michal- Dr. Peter Michalos. And we're going to have you on our Sunday show and think about what we're going to talk about. Thank you so We're much. Let's talk about anti-aging, keeping us alive. That is Sounds good. Where's that song, Staying Alive? Yes, yeah, Staying Alive. Come on, Peter, you know the words. <laughs> Let's Peter Zuber knows the words. Today. He'll be singing Pearl it when we come Harbor back. Pearl Harbor Day. And with us uh, right after the break is uh, Frank uh, uh, Morano from the other side of midnight. And he's got a couple words for us about Pearl Harbor. Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And this is not Paul Zuber singing, by the way. This is Lee Greenwood. <laughs> Today is Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, and we should never, never, ever forget. Absolutely. And there's so many conspiracy theories on Pearl Harbor. If they, Who knew? When did they knew? To, to bring in Frank Morano from the other side of midnight. The conspiracy uh, the, expert. The conspiracy expert. What the heck went on in Pearl Harbor? Did they really know it was going to happen? And 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 who was telling me? Somebody else was telling me they didn't know where the fleet was. They were looking for the Japanese fleet and they couldn't find it. Yeah, what do you it's know? great. It's great to be on with everybody, especially my borough president, Vito Fasella, whose uh, leadership on the congestion pricing issue is the only person uh, that may make it possible for me to afford to continue to drive to work. But uh, we've looked at this a lot over the years, but especially over the course of the last two months, because a lot of people are drawing parallels with what happened with Pearl Harbor and both the October 7th terrorist attack in Israel and the September 11th attack, because it's now come out that certain Israeli intelligence officials had knowledge of this Hamas plan and obviously we remember the story in the run up to September 11th that there was a a presidential briefing that Al-Qaeda was determined to attack within the United States. So in looking at this we come to two conclusions I think. One there's been 10 official U.S. inquiries into this. Nine were during the 40s because almost immediately after this happened there were people saying that FDR knew that the American government knew and then there was one in 1995 and all 10 basically came to the same conclusion, which is that there was incompetence, there was underestimation, there was misapprehension of Japanese capabilities and intentions. But no, they don't believe uh, that there's any specific evidence that the government knew that there was going to be an attack on Pearl Harbor. However, a few years ago, there was this secret history of uh, World War II and its aftermath that was written by Herbert Hoover that was published and it was edited by a great uh, – historian by the name of uh, George Nash. It's called Freedom Betrayed. And Hoover, in his notes, makes a very compelling case that 
FDR and the United States government deliberately provoked Japan into some sort of attack. And uh, Hoover doesn't believe that they knew that it was going to be as bad as it did or that it was going to be specifically Pearl Harbor. But basically, in the run up to Pearl Harbor, there was every possibility that America had to make peace with a very peaceful government in Japan. In fact, the prime minister of Japan was going to come to the United States, to either Hawaii or Alaska, across the Pacific and meet with FDR to discuss the terms of peace, both for the war they were waging in China and in French Indo and in Indochina. And the details of that meeting were leaked. Now, when uh, somebody is willing to go out of their way to show that kind of humility in Japan. So in other words, Japan had Japan had no choice but to attack. Well, I'm not saying that's that. what he's I'm, claiming. I, I'm I'm saying that uh, there was a lot of provocative actions from cutting off oil. Yeah, we cut them off. We cut them off. They had oil, oil and yeah. they need oil. There's a book called uh, "The Road to Pearl Harbor" by Herbert Feist, which said that because they cut off the oil, they gave him no choice. And the second mm-hmm. part of the conspiracy theory was is that the Japanese ambassador was here trying to cut a deal, and even he didn't know about the attack. Yeah, that's in the in the Hoover book as well. So my conclusion, and I spent a, about an hour on this this morning, folks can listen at WABCRadio.com, is no, the government didn't know, but yes, there were deliberately provocative. You know, I think there's a lesson also, you guys, too, as on a on an also an important note on the somber uh, anniversary. Again, it's 82 years since the attack on Pearl Harbor is that we got to stay vigilant. I mean, look at our borders right now. We've been talking about our wide open borders, how vulnerable we are to attack. This is the same week we had the FBI director this week earlier, John, who was saying that he has never seen a threat level to America like he's seeing now. And that, to me, is such a painful reminder when I think of Pearl Harbor. Eyes open, guys. Eyes open. You can listen to Frank Morano every night, Monday through Friday. He'll be on tonight uh, from 1 o'clock in the morning to 5 in the morning. So if you can't sleep like me... Well, turn on the radio and you'll have Frank as company. I hate Frank because he keeps me up. I want to go to sleep and then I listen to Frank because he's so interesting. Right, so, guys, you know. What do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.